Turn, if you will, to John 17. We've been looking at how Christ prays, and we get to set in, as it were, by the gospel of John and hearing pray in the upper room. And what would he be praying uh, just hours before his arrest and his crucifixion? Uh, what would be on his mind? Well, we know he prays specifically for three categories. Verses 1 through 5, he prays for himself. Father, glorify me. I've completed the work you gave me. I want to go home. Glorify me with the glory I have with you before the foundation of the world. Verses 6 through 19, he prays specifically for the 11 men that are in that room, and by application, it extends to us. And what did he pray? Two things, for sure. He prayed for their uh, being kept, being protected by God from the evil one. They weren't protected from martyrdom. They weren't protected from failing. Uh, they weren't protected from a lot of persecution, but they were to be protected from the evil one that had destroyed Judas. Don't let him destroy any of these men. And they were not destroyed, though 10 of them were martyred. And one lived into his 90s. So Christ's prayer was answered on behalf of these men. Then he prayed in verse 17 through 19, would you set them aside for the mission that I came to make myself known to the world? Sanctify them, sanctify them by the truth. Set them aside for the mission of making me known. Now, we move to a third category in which he says, I want to pray for those who believe the apostolic message. I want to pray for those who will be believers in the future. And I have two requests primarily, and we'll only look at one. I pray that they will remain and become one, that they will be united and not split or divided. And two, he says, and we won't be touching on it, but he prays, I want them to be where I am. Bring them to see the glory I have when I go to the Father. I want to share that glory. I want them to see it. We're going to look this morning on uh, the unity he prays for, and we pick up verse 20. I do not ask for these only, the 11, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, apostolic message, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That's a remarkable verse, that you will love them just like you love the Son. Can you imagine the Father loving you like he loves the Son? He said it. He said it. Um, what is uh, going on here? What is he praying for? He is praying that in the future, 
as the apostles, because you remember when they came in the room, they were fighting over who was the greatest. They, they fussed among themselves, had plenty of rivalry. But now he says, I'm getting ready to go, and I'm going to send these 11 to preach, and there will be people added to my cause, to followership, as it were. I'm asking you to do something that takes a miracle, that is, make my people one and not scattered, divided, and split apart. It is hard to keep people together on any level. To keep a family together is not easy. Uh, to keep a club together, to keep a band going. Uh, it's hard to keep people together because there's something in each of us so cantankerous that it's not right unless we do it my way. Because we know everything. And we are divisive by nature. The flesh is always divisive. It's always more right. It's proud. It's a, how can you get proud people? People always right. Uh, I don't care if they're the same color. If they're of the same nation, they'll figure a way to hate each other, to divide with each other. So here he's praying, I'm asking you, Father, would you make my people one? Make my people one. And that's the thing we need to first of all get. Uh, who is he praying would be one? He's praying that his own people, the people you've given me out of the world, the people that the Father has given to the Son, I'm praying you'll do this divine work among my people. Make them one. Well, uh, that sounds good. What kind of oneness? We all belong to the same church. We're all Presbyterian. Because Presbyterians never fight with each other. You, you obviously don't follow the Presbyterian Church USA. You ought to look at some of the news, see what they... Baptists never fight. That's why there's so many Baptist churches. They have a fight, they start a new one. They call it church growth. You said church split. Pentecostals don't fight. They're just all love until you don't know who the head bishop is. I don't care what the label is. We will find a way to disagree. But did God answer the prayer of his son? Well, I think we ought to examine this is a unity that no man can form. Only God can form it. Because look at the unity he's praying for. Look at verse 11. Holy Father, keep them. Well, let me start the whole verse. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one. Like what? Whoa, 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 you just moved it up. You know, I never found that the word one is so hard to define. One is hard to define. Give you an example. My wife and I are one. Please explain that. 
we are one. We are 180 degrees opposite. We even have different genders. But we are one. But you have to qualify that. You, you'd have to say, no, 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 you're not one. There's two of you. You can't be one. Well, there's a mystery, isn't there? Uh, Ephesians said, the oneness between a husband and wife are like the oneness between Christ and his church. There's a mystery. What realm of oneness? What, did he say we're all alike? It's uniformity? No. Oneness. There's union. You share something in common. And then he ups it here. I want you to make them one like the Father and the Son are one. How can this be? Look at 1420. The verse McGee said is that he said, none of you can interpret right. He's saying it to me in a line of preachers. He said, son, interpret the verse. And he said, I know you can't. He said, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Tell me what that means. Go. How do you explain the interpenetration of the Father and the Son, the Son and the Father? Uh, let's, the, the Jews were always asking during Christ's ministry, who's doing this stuff? Jesus said, my Father. No, no, no. Your Father didn't raise the dead man. It didn't heal the blind. You did. Well, see, whatever I do, the Father does. Would you tell, cut it straight, we believe in your Father. We just don't believe in you. He said, no, if you don't believe in me, you don't believe in the Father. Well, well, well when does one start and the other stop? Uh, they don't. So that means uh, you and the Father are the same thing. John 10, 30, he said, we are the same thing. We're one thing. It's neuter in the Greek. We're not masculine. We're not the same person, but we're the same thing. What's the same thing? What's the neuter there? We share the same essence called God. We share the same attributes. We share the same nature, but it's shared equally by three divine persons so that we act in harmony, and the works you see me do, the Father does. And what the Father does, I can do. And the words I say are the words of the Father. Wait, wait. And you're saying you make them one like we're one. United in life. United in mission. United in purpose. United in this God like the Son is with the Father. This is, no man can create this. No man can create this. No ecumenical movement can create this. No, uh, Fraternity of churches can create it. This is something divine. You can never look for visible unity until you have an invisible unity that's been established. Now, watch what he says. He qualifies it more down at 17. You're there, aren't you? I knew you would be. 21, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He said, when they, the world sees the oneness in the people of God, that they're bound together by a mutual life, mutual mission, mutual purpose, 
And when they love each other, like John 13 says, when they've got the same uh, love and the same uh, union with God, they will believe I have come from you because only Jesus Christ could form this kind of a people, united together to the triune Godhead. Believe it or not, you are related to the Trinity now. I'm in the circle. I'm loved by the Father like he loves his Son. I am in the Son. The Father has put me in that circle. I'm not outside the circle like mentioning Terry. We're in the circle. We are right. We've been united to the triune God. And there's a unity there that's so far beyond men. Verse 22, that they may be one as we are one. Not like marriage, like the Father and the Son are. Let them be perfectly become one. Well, this is unity on a level that is so high, it is hard. I've wrestled with it always. How, what is there in all of the human race that's similar? The only thing I can think of is marriage, and, and it, it's not perfect. This one between the Father and the Son is perfect. Put them in union. Put them in unity. Put it among them like it exists in the divine pattern. Wow. How is this unity formed? I'd say two ways. Two ways. One would be the new birth. Being born again. Regeneration. The other is the baptizing work of the Spirit. What is this? Regeneration. I'm going to hell. I reject Christ. I don't know Christ. Uh, I've never heard of Christ. Somebody shares the gospel with me. And all of a sudden, the Spirit works in my heart, and I trust Christ as my Savior. I've just received Jesus Christ, okay? I just did it. What happened to me. What took place at that moment? Well, at that moment, without even, even knowing it, Jesus Christ came in me, and him coming into me, I could say, I now possess eternal life. He that has the Son has eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. Do I have eternal life? You better believe it. Can you see it? Eh, maybe not. You just see a nice-dressed man. Good-looking. Well, whatever. Take it by faith. Uh, you don't know, but he's in there. I received Christ. See, I didn't give him my heart. I received him. I wish I would have got rid of that heart. He gave me a new heart, but I have trouble with the old one. I received Christ in me. So he's in me. And the baptizing work of the Spirit says, and you have been immersed into Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit were you baptized or immersed into the body of Christ. Whether Jew or Gentile, one's an eye, one's an ear. You've you got different roles, you've got different distinctions, functions, but you're in one body 
with one head. So wait, Christ is in me. Is that true? But I am in Christ. I'm said to be a member of his body. Is that true? And 115 times he said, the believer is in Christ, and in Christ you're complete. In Christ, according to the Galatians, he doesn't consider your gender. He doesn't consider your ethnicity, whether you're Jew or Gentile. In Christ, he doesn't consider whether you're bond or free. All the uh, worldly categorize, way we categorize, well, she's male. Uh, she's male. That's really quite an oxymoron. Yeah, I, I'm hearing all this new stuff. Now, uh, there's male, there's female, Jew, Gentile, uh, slave, free, rich, poor. Oh, we've got to categorize people. They make a lot of money. So what? They make little money. It, it's our pride. You don't want to run around with poor folks. You might have to help them. Always run with folks that's got more money than you. Then you won't have to be compassionate. Yeah, it's a lot easier. That's right. You don't ever travel with someone that's broker than you because they may want you to pick up the tab. So always find that one uncle you can't stand that's got money. Travel with him. Just practical advice. That's why I travel with my brother. Uh, <laughs> see, okay. So uh, do you, what categories are we talking? So wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. The Father's in me, according to Ephesians 4. God who is in, in you all. God the, did you know God the Father is said to be in you? Listen to this verse. For he cannot continue to practice sin for his seed, sperma, Greek, his seed remains in you. That sounds to me like the Father's in me. My Father's seed is in me. I look like him. I act a little bit like him. But any way I want, my DNA came from a man that passed on his seed and joined up with my mother, and I got their nature. God is in me, and the new nature is proof of it. A divine nature is in me, and according to 2 Peter, you have become partners in the divine nature through Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, 4. Now, am I in the Spirit? Oh, what are you, you've never read Romans, have you? You're either in the flesh or in the Spirit. Romans 8, 5 through 8. In the flesh, in the Spirit. What, I'm in the Spirit, and the Spirit's in me. Wait, wait, I walk into a restaurant order. They don't know how much deity I'm carrying around. They don't realize that a temple just walked in. They don't walk, hey, my body's a temple of the Holy Ghost. Spirit of God in Hey, God just came in the room. <laughs> Not me, the person, but I'm housing God. You don't believe it? That's okay. I'll take the word of God over your face. No, no. God says he lives in me. I live in him. Wow, whoever created that union. God. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah but, but what if I go to Ethiopia and I meet somebody over there? You know, they're different color than those white folks. We couldn't be in the same family. Oh, 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 wait, wait. What do they think of Jesus Christ? Oh, he's my Savior. Ooh, but I'm a racist. Well, you better get over your racism because you might be meeting kinfolks. Wait, 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 how can you be my kin, folks? You don't even look like me. Well, that's a blessing. <laughs> you mean we can be kin, folks? How can we be kin, folks? What do you have in common? Have you been placed into Christ? Has Christ been placed in you? Have you been placed in the body? Has the Spirit been placed? We, there's a union he forms of every kindred, tribe, and tongue. And he even lets us get mixed up with all your stupid labels. Some of you got the right label, but you're still an empty can. You got Heinz 57 on the label, and honey, there's still nothing in the can. You're a Baptist that's not saved. You're a Presbyterian that don't know God. Don't get to talking to me about labels. Labels don't save, and nobody's coming to the gate. And he said, what, how do you get in this place? Well, I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Baptist. I'm a mixed-up Pentecostal. I'm a mixed-up something. You're not getting there on labels. You're getting there on Jesus. You're getting there on Jesus. Have you been born again? Has the Spirit of God come in you? Oh, but I know groups that would die for their label more than they would for Jesus because the label is so important. See, I've had such a variety of labels. I think of my schooling. Two years with Free Will Baptist. Two years at a regular Baptist school. I don't know what an irregular Baptist is, but I was with regulars. <laughs> um, they, uh, then I went to a Mennonite school for a year. And then I went to an independent seminary in San Francisco. I finished in Denver, Colorado. Then I went to Dallas Seminary, which was many denominations. So I've been with all kinds of folks. And you know what? The thing that made them kin, folks, was Jesus. Jesus coming together. God is forming one people of every kindred and tribe and tongue, every gender and every ethnicity, and he has answered the son's prayer. This started on the day of Pentecost after Christ was resurrected and he sent the Spirit to begin to form a people. Now, that means whatever you do against one of the people, you're doing against a member of Christ. You don't want to mess with fellow believers, especially if you are one. I was so glad, except I think my sister had some spanking rights. But as a whole, I was glad all the discipline came from my dad try to keep David and Paul away from me. I want a brother. I don't want another parent. But they nearly raised me, babysit me in the summer. Are you in the family of God? Now, you know, it's amazing. I have to go elsewhere to show you this. What God has made, has made that only he can make, he told us to maintain. Look at Ephesians Chapter 4. Turn there, please. The first three chapters, he tells us how we came from being unsaved and we were saved. Chapter 2, he tells about our wonderful salvation. 
chapter 3, he tells how he brought Jew and Gentile together in one body. How he, one people. And this seemed to be an impossibility. And even angels in chapter 3, verse 10, scratch their head. How can you get these two people together, Jew and Gentile? God did it in this one body. But now, having said those three chapters, now look what he, he switches gears. He's going to, okay, I told you what God's done in salvation. Now let me tell you what he wants you to do with one another. Watch this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want you to maintain what God alone made. Only God can make the unity. But you and I are being told to maintain it. Ah. And there's two ways he gives here. One is a common core beliefs that bind two believers together. Core beliefs. You cannot have unity where truth is not foremost. Unity is not achieved by reducing our theology to bare minimums. Don't believe anything, you get along with everybody. Oh no, you just gave away your soul. Truth, the Ephesians 4 says truth in love. Don't put love ahead of truth. It can get sloppy and gooey and we can't even recognize it. Love needs boundaries. Love needs discernment. So he says truth in love. But you can also tell the truth obnoxiously. Tell the truth kindly. In our marriage, uh, the favorite uh, banner going back, she'll say something to me, and I can pick up an imperative in her voice a block away. And if I hear command, there's just something goes all over me, and it's not goosebumps. I said, you commanded? Have you heard of the requestive case? Ask. And that doesn't always work, believe me. Not at this stage. She'll say it any way she feels. But you know, I said, oh, she said, I, I just told you to do this and that. I said, it's not what you said. It was tone. What difference does it make? <laughs> do it. Moving on. This is not about Mary. <laughs> And so, let me reverse the outline here. And look what he said, the attitude I'm to be walking among you with. Unity is kept by the subjective attitude. My subjective part is I'm walking in humility, uh, in gentleness, which is mild-mannered, is the idea of the word. With patience, I'm willing to put up with you a long time, and I hope you'll do the same with me. It means to hold out a long time, this word patience. Burying with one another in love. There must be things about fellow believers to put up with to tell us to do it. Christians aren't always the easiest people to get along with. No human being is easy to get along with necessarily. Look at you. <laughs> I mean, do we have to do it your way? 
my way and no way. And then you get a thousand of us. And then, you know, right now there's probably, uh, uh, I'm guessing, maybe 800 million believers. Maybe a billion. What makes us one? We all vote the same. We all look the same. We're all clones. We're all uniform and dress, thinking, oh, no, 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 no. One thing, we walk with an attitude towards one another, and we're eager. We make the effort to maintain unity, to keep the main thing the main thing of why we're really Christians. What is a Christian? Now, that's one thing, and it carries the same theme out in Philippians uh, 2, 1 through 5. Same thing. If there's any fellowship. Uh, oh, let's, let's look at it. It's free. You're in church, right? Look at it. Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Uh, no, you want a clone? You want to make me think like you? No. But when it comes to Christ and his word, we better have the same mind. We better think the same thing about him. I'm not talking about how you voted. I'm talking about Christ. Uh, having the same love. Well, I don't love you guys. I don't love you Christians, but I'm a Christian. No, you're not. The Word of God says you're not a Christian. They'll know us because we love one another. If God hasn't worked in you enough to make you love Christians, you don't know him. You don't know him. Just admit it. Don't go to hell saying you know him when you don't love believers. You don't know him. And the proof of it is you don't love his children. And 1 John says it over and over. Being in full accord and of one mind. You know, some people, the American Marlboro man is so independent. Nobody's going to make me think alike. I'm my own man. That's your problem. Some of you aren't made to be a part of a whole. You want to be the maverick. You're a lone ranger. Well, God's sheep aren't endorsed to be lone rangers. We're a flock with one shepherd, Jesus. One body, Jesus the head. Do you feel like you're a member? Are you the exclusive special? Humility makes you say, I'm a part of a whole. Gentleness makes you kind to all that name the name. Patience means, oh, we may not agree on everything, but I can hold out a long time. Oh, I could put up with differences of opinion. We can bear with one another. Is that beautiful? And then he says, uh, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Wow, that would take a miracle. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. By the way, why don't you start thinking like Christ thought? Have that humility. Let's go back to Ephesians. Not only the subjective part of our behavior makes for unity, he gives seven objective truths that bind all believers together. Seven. Here they are. You want to, this is the boundaries right there. You see, uh, I have people all the time that they want us to support them or they want to get together. We say, send us your doctrinal statement. Oh, it doesn't matter, brother. I just love the Lord. No, we like to see what you believe. 
Well, what's that got to do with unity? Everything. Boy, that's rigid. Well, uh, if, when you know there's heretics and schisms and antichrist in the world, everything flying under the name of religion is going to heaven. Don't be naive and pious on me. We've got a lot of lying evangelists, a lot of lying TV time. I used to go to school in Dallas, and you talk about some of the world's biggest liars for on TV time and stacks of letters they never prayed over for bringing in $10 million a year. Lying like a thief and like a wolf. And too many of the saints too spiritual to call them what they are. You're lying. You're not praying over my request. You're just getting my money. And people would support that, but they wouldn't support a local church because he's really doing the work of God. Notice the unities. There is one body, and it's Presbyterian. What? It's Mennonite. It's Baptist. It's, well, no, no, no. There's one people of God. Church, universal, that is expressed locally in local churches all over the globe. Different labels, Presbyterian, Baptist, that's all right, that's okay. But there's one. All cults say they're the only ones going to heaven. Every cult said if you don't do it our way, you're not going to heaven. Two. There's one spirit. Well, I got the Holy Ghost. Do you? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, I said, do you have the Holy Ghost? I said, I'm a Christian. God doesn't have any children that don't have the Holy Spirit. We've all got it. We're not all filled with the Spirit or acting like it. There's times we don't manifest the fruit. But I got the Spirit. I got the river. The moment I put faith in Christ, for Christ said, I'll put a river in you. This spake he of the Holy Spirit, which he had not yet given, for the Son of Man had not been glorified, John 7, 37 through 39. We have the Spirit. All God's people are spirit people. According to Romans 8, 5 through 8, you're either in the flesh or in the spirit. There's not three categories. You're one or the other. You're in the spirit or in the flesh. But if you're in the flesh, you're about to die. And that means probably eternal destruction. In the spirit, it's life and peace. So one spirit, he goes on. He said, uh, you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. What is the one hope? Looking for that blessed hope and appearing of the great God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Titus 2.11. The one hope is Christ is coming again. That's our hope. Our future has a rendezvous with Jesus Christ in which he will come for his own. Now, now we, we may, watch this now, we, not, we may not agree on the date. Some of you are pre-trib. Some of you are mid-trib. Some are post-trib. And some of you are just tripping. You may believe in the millennium, not the millennium. Be mixed up. Help yourself. There's more confusion 
about dates, times, charts, and eschatology. But this is what true believers of every stripe, all male, post-male, pre-male, this is what all the trib views mean. He's coming again. He's coming again. That's our hope. Christ is coming again, and his people are longing for that. We don't set dates. We don't pull out calendars, and we may not know the name of the ten heads of the beast, but he's coming again. He goes on. One Lord, and who would that be? Jesus Christ, Revelation 19, when he rides back, his Lord of lords and kings of kings is written right across his breast. There's one Lord for the church. It's not the Pope, it's not the board, and it's not the preacher. It's Christ, the risen Christ, the exalted Christ. The only one that's really got a church is Christ. You just happen to be an employee. We just work for the Lord. We don't lord this place. He told the elders in 1 Peter, do not lord it over God's people. And that's been one of the greatest downfalls of many of preachers. They became cocky little lords, and God brings them down. You don't walk among God's people like you own them. They're God's property. I talk this way. I'm a preacher. I know better, and I know cocky preachers when I see them. And they don't last because God says, I oppose the proud. I'll bring you down. One Lord. One Lord. Just one. He runs the church. He's the head of the church. I can trust him. Anybody that died for me ought to be able to run me. One faith. What in the world is that? One faith. You mean we all believe the same? What is one faith? Well, faith is used two different ways in Scripture. It's used of subjective faith. Uh, my faith in Christ looks subjectively. But when Jude wrote, he said, contending for the faith. And when you read the pastoral epistles, he tells Paul to keep the faith. He puts a definite article in front of it, and it means the revealed body of truth that reveals the object of my faith. The object of my faith, yes, is Christ, but how did I find out about Christ? Through this revealed word. This reveals the faith that my subjective faith is to cling to. Now hear me. Faith is no better than its object. Faith is, you know, some people say, well, I'm saved by faith and faith. Did you know you can have faith all day in a rickety old bridge and your faith won't make it hold up? I just, I got faith. <laughs> What's that? You got your faith in the wrong place. The cults believe what they believe as strong as you probably believe what you believe. Don't tell me that a Jehovah's Witness who works my block all the time, nobody else works our neighborhood but the Jehovah Witnesses. They believe what they believe is strong or stronger than you do. But guess what? You're not saved when you believe the wrong thing. 
the object you believe in is almost more important than your subjective attitude. Because Jesus said one time, they said, Lord, you know, if you would just increase our faith, all the name it, claim it people, you need more faith, name it, claim it, cough it up, pump up that faith. Ooh, I got all kinds of faith. You're still wrong. You're still trusting the wrong object. And Jesus said, wait, 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 wait. I don't have anything this small. What? If you just, if you just had a tiny bit of faith like that of a mustard seed, and I used to see women wear it for jewelry, they'd have a mustard seed enclosed. I mean, it looks like just something flying through the air. You know, um, what? That's a seed. There's germ in that. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying all I need? He said, just a little faith in the right object will save you. A little in the right thing will save you. Now, how many of you have had days, Lord, my faith is weak, it's small. Have you ever had any of those days? Boy, you're a non-responsive group. You're dishonest, too. You don't tell me. I know you have. You know better than the preacher. Sure you have. I don't know. Weak in faith. He mentions those verses. Small soul. But my anchor holds within the veil. What I'm trusting holds. I may be tossed around like a vessel in a storm or like a cork on the sea, but my anchor holds. The object I'm trusting holds. There's one faith, and the arbitrator for all true believers is one revelation. Not Joseph Smith, not, not this group. Not the, if you get beyond this, you just made up a new religion. We bow to this. This is the one faith. Right there. Right there. Well, then he goes on to say, uh, one baptism. Oh, this is fun. What is that? Boy, there's been more church fights over baptism. Got Church of Christ, got Presbyterians and Baptists. Who's right? Church of Christ, you've got to be baptized to go to heaven. You're not saved if you don't get baptized. Are they right? No, I say they're cultic in that because they destroy justification by faith. What about Presbyterian? I want to sprinkle my baby. Well, I disagree. I don't know any place anybody's ever sprinkled in all the Bible. Nowhere. I disagree. But I went to a Presbyterian school. Set under Presbyterian saved people. Will they go to heaven because they sprinkled their baby? Yeah. Will the baby? Will the baby go to heaven? That's the issue. What if they never profess faith? Oh, this guarantees faith. Now you made up something Scripture didn't say. They've got to believe at a point. And the water won't make them believe. It doesn't make Catholics believe. And it doesn't make Methodists believe. And it doesn't make Presbyterians. You did it. They didn't do it. So we disagree on that. But the one baptism all the way through the book of Acts, was they were baptized by water the moment they professed faith. And this ritual baptism, 
I think, is an outward witness that I've been immersed into Christ, and in Christ I've died, I've been buried, I've been raised again, and I'm going public that I've been identified with Christ. And there was no such thing as hidden witnesses or people that wouldn't go forward to be baptized. It was just a part of church life. One baptism, the baptism of conversion, I'm going public that I'm a follower of Christ. Now, here's the trouble. I may dif- disagree with a man who sprinkles, let's say, but I ask him, hey, how were you baptized? Let's say, well, I was say when I was 25. Well, they do. Well, they sprinkled me. Would that be valid baptism? The mode I disagree with, but they went public. They went public for their faith. They went, they went to a church, sprinkled, there's other groups I know. There's a group called Grace Brethren out of Winona Lake, Indiana. Grace Seminary's back there. They are tri-Baptists. Have you ever heard of a tri-Baptist? They do this. They have a formula. It's a part of Grace Brethren theology. You have to be baptized three times. They do it this way. I baptize you in the name of the Father. Bring back. In the name of the Son. And in the name of the Holy Spirit. And if they're still alive, they're a member. <laughs> okay. that's, that's, that's tri-baptism. What we do, we just hold some under longer. The more cantankerous, hold them under. Try to baptize people with their wallet. I try to put Geritol in the water, too, to get some energy for God. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all, and through all, and in all of you. God the Father is in all of his children. So there's a union. There is a unity that has been created that we are told to maintain it two ways. By our behavior towards our brothers and sisters. Are we a humble people? Are we patient? Are we forbearing? Are we walking in the humility of Christ? That's the subjective side. Objective side Here's the uh, thing. Uh, who do we associate with in the church world? I, uh, I read a thing by uh, Al Mohler, the president of Southern Seminary, who said he had a triage of doctrinal beliefs. And let me say this is, I think, very good. Uh, this is what he triaged. First of all, if I meet someone, do you believe in the full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ? Now, if you didn't, are you a believer? The Antichrist in 1 John denied his humanity. The Jews denied his deity. So must we bend and accommodate at this level? No. We've got to build our fences right here. You must accept the full deity and humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, or we are not in the same family. Two, do you accept the Trinity, that there's a Father, a Son, and the Holy Spirit? I didn't say, can you explain it? Do you accept it? No, I don't believe in the Trinity. Which member does not exist? They make the Spirit an influence. They make the Father and the Son both the same person. They just change masks. In the Old Testament, it was the Father. New Testament is Jesus. No, the three distinct persons. 
Thirdly, thirdly, do you believe that a man or woman is made right with God by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone, to the glory of God alone? Do you say, I'm made right with God because of baptism? I'm right with God because I'm in a certain groove. I'm made right with God because I've done all these good works. Anyone that says you're not made right with God or justified by faith alone, you are not saved by grace. You're not saved. You're, you're saving yourself by works, and your works are another gospel. You're saved by Christ alone, faith alone. That's where we draw the boundary. Fourthly, these are the top four. Fourthly, do you accept the full authority of the Scriptures as the Word of God? Will the Bible settle the debate? Are you quoting to me Calvin, Augustine, uh, this one, that one? What do they have to do with it if God didn't say it? I'm pre-Calvin. You don't even know what that is, do you? I'm pre-Jacob Arminius. I'm pre-Augustine. They happened to fall on justification by faith, and we had a reformation because the Catholic Church buried it for a thousand years. And until a Lutheran guy, a guy that by the name of Luther, discovered you're not justified with God by crawling on your knees at St. Peter's Basilica. And it rung out to him, Romans 1, because he's teaching at the university in Germany. A man is justified by faith in God. He's not justified by kissing the ring of saints. He's justified by faith alone. Faith alone. In Christ alone. Some of you don't even know there was a reformation. That's to your own poverty. What did they fight for to come out of the dark ages of a thousand years of vestment, candles, praying to saints, getting mom and dad out of purgatory, when all the time, did you put faith in Jesus Christ? He's the one-way ticket. There's no intermediator. You don't go through anybody else. Jesus is the straight trip to heaven. Well, uh, we could stay here all day. Our unity is both objective, divine truths we believe. I went to a conference, and I've shared it with others. Uh, please tell them not to get in a hurry here. <laughs> and and um, don't you know the man of God's up here? <laughs> uh, and uh, it was a conference called uh, Building the Fences, Building the Fences. And the issue was, where do you build the fences on truth? And it was at John Piper, a church in the Midwest, great teacher. And they had a movement going at Bethel Seminary called Open Theism. Open Theism says God does not know the future. God doesn't know what you're going to do until you do it. And that's, the prophet, prophecy would be in doubt a lot of things, but God doesn't know a lot. He doesn't know all things. So they just emasculated his uh, omniscience. And at that conference, we had a guy by the name of Sinclair Ferguson, a great Presbyterian out of Scotland. He's now uh, in South Carolina. Wonderful Bible teacher. And here Piper gets up. He said, 
Here, if a man came from Bethel Seminary who said, God doesn't know everything because he's a Baptist and in the general conference, I got to let him join our church. But I can't let Sinclair Ferguson because he baptizes children. Now, which one should I be able to accommodate? Where do I build the fence? Sinclair, a thoroughbred, evangelical, Bible-loving, godly man, that God is sovereign, omniscient, all-powerful, and you don't mess with his nature. You leave it alone, you theologians. Or penalize him because he grew up in Presbyterianism that believes children come within the covenant by infant baptism. He said, I've got a lot more in common with Sinclair than I ever will be with men stripping God of his attributes. You've got to know, in Christian circles, we all may differ on liberties. Some can drink wine, some can't. If you can, don't tell everybody. Help yourself. And don't get drunk. If you get drunk, you're violating Scripture. Uh, some can this, they can't that. He, he already said we'll have that. We'll differ over menus. We'll differ over di Christian life issues. That's the core, one God, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one Lord, one spirit. Keep the main thing the main thing.